HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org donate to become a member now. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Today is episode number 80 of Feast Your Ears, and I'm really pleased to have Matt Moore in the studio with me. Matt is the author of a recently published book, came out I think back in April, called The South's Best Butts, and I have him here, and we're going to be talking about barbecue today. Thanks, Matt, for coming in. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Happy Fourth of July. Happy Fourth. We're recording this on the 5th, but those of you listening, if you're live listening, it won't be till the end of July, but what'd you do for the Fourth of July? Uh, we were out on the plaza. We did the Today Show yesterday nice. and cooked uh, about six pork butts and smoked corn and baked beans and cold beer <laughs> did you start on monday like late monday night it was the 20 hour version of yeah. the recipe so right. yeah we uh stayed out all night and listened to hank jr and and smoked some pork butts sounds sounds awesome <laughs> sounds uh, a little different i feel like a lot of people probably were doing something similar but like I, I feel like when i think of doing that i don't think about standing out in the plaza for the today show <laughs> i think about like being in the backyard hanging out in the hammock you know that yeah kind of thing. yeah it was certainly a, a unique environment a fun one so uh, you have written this book. This is your second book. Is that right? Uh, it's really actually my third, third book. book. Um, I self-published a book back in 2010, 2011 called Have Her Over for Dinner, uh, back when I was a single guy teaching guys how to cook for girls. Oh, nice. <laughs> and now you're married and have kids, right? I do. We have uh, two beautiful uh, girls. We just had our first uh, or our second baby girl on, uh, on June 1st. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, it's a lot of work. I know I got two myself, <laughs> it but is. it's a lot of fun, <laughs> a lot of fun. Uh, and so, uh, 
Tell me a little bit about barbecue. I am from the North. I guess you'd call me a Yankee. Yes, uh, I would. I grew up here in New York. And, you know, we can get barbecue here. I understand the difference between barbecue the way it is, you know, described in the South and what we call, oh, I want to come over for a barbecue, <laughs> where you put hot dogs and burgers on the grill, yeah. which is not the same thing. Um, but, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about what real barbecue means to you. Uh, you know... <sighs> I start the, the book out with uh, a line from my mother-in-law that opinions are like butts. Everybody has one. <laughs> and, you know, when it comes As to New barbecue... New Yorkers, I think we're a little more profane when we <laughs> yeah. say that. But yeah. um, everyone has an opinion as to what is barbecue. And I, I think, um, for me, if we're going to have some strong opinions, uh, I think the pig is, is the common denominator. I know a lot right. of folks would take offense to that that might be in Texas or Oklahoma with their, you know, love of beef. And obviously... Right. Uh, you know, uh, people from Kentucky, they love neutrality and they love mutton. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think, um, you know, the pig is really the common denominator. And you, you made a, a perfect point. My wife's a Yankee, too. She's from Wisconsin. And I'll never forget when we went to uh, one of the first um, barbecues that she invited me to with the family. You know, there was cheese, there was Miller Lite, and there were bratwurst. Right. And it was great, but it wasn't barbecue. So yeah. I, I think uh, if you trace it back to its naming rights, barbacoa is a term, you know, used to describe slow roasting. Uh, typically large chunks of meat over open coals. Uh, and I think that's truly what most folks would consider barbecue, whether it's beef, pig, mutton, whatever it is. But the idea of slow and direct cooking uh, is what most folks, especially Southerners, will will commonly agree upon. <laughs> um, so how did you get into the telling of the stories of the pitmasters because your book it is recipes, but it really is about the specific pitmasters from a number of different, uh, barbecue restaurants, I guess, in the throughout the South, um, which I think is a little different. I feel like there's a lot of barbecue books out there that are, you know, talk about the theory and how to do it at home and all this stuff. But you're really telling these stories. How did you get into that? You know, honestly, it was a bit of a natural evolution. I'm, I'm born and raised in the South. Uh, barbecue has always kind of been a soundtrack for some of my fondest moments in my lives, including, uh, you know, my own wedding where we had barbecue served at the Loveless Cafe. Uh, so the, the opportunity to, to kind of put together a travel log to document where we are today with barbecue uh, was presented to me, and and, and I, I love the idea of shining a focus on on the pork butt specifically. You know, living in Nashville, uh, I liken everything to music. So in the band of Barbecue Brothers, you've got ribs that have always kind of been like the lead singer of the band. Like everybody loves ribs, but to be honest with you, they're quite flaky and finicky. <laughs> Uh, I think, you know, uh, brisket, uh, especially with, you know, the, the popularity of like a Franklin barbecue is a phenomenal cut. (laughs) Texas brisket is kind of like the lead, lead guitarist. It's, it's stealing some of that rib spotlight. I thought it was really cool to pay homage to the drummer or bass player that never gets any attention, (laughs) which I think is the pork butt that kind of keeps everybody in time, holds everybody together. And I, and I think, um, what I love about it is it's super humble. It's versatile, stretches to feed a crowd and it's cheap. Right. Um, and I think, uh, you know, for you talking about people in the backyard, um, I think it's one of the first starting places for people to learn how to cook good barbecue. Um, you know, before I pick up a brisket that's going to cost me fifteen ninety nine a pound and smoke it, I, I could learn on a pork butt for $1.99 a pound. Yeah. <laughs> and and probably a little more forgiving. Sure. I mean, just the way the, the way the meat is, the way it's marbled, the way the fat runs through there um, and the connective tissue. It You know, if you smoke it for... 18 hours or 26 hours, it's not really good. You're probably still going to have a great yeah, butt. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also love that you, I mean, that you pick up on some places that, you know, I'm not a huge follower of the sort of barbecue scene, so maybe people do know about this, but mm-hmm. a place like Heirloom Market in Atlanta, I didn't know about them, and what they're doing mixing in Korean flavors, I find fascinating. 
I wanted to showcase diversity. Um, I, I think a lot of people will just consider that this is kind of a man's game, but we featured probably half as many women pit masters yeah. in the book as we did men. So different race, different, different ethnicities. And, you know, heirloom is, um, it's becoming more and more well-known. And um, I, I make the argument, you know, uh, Jion Lee is from some South Korea, and it's hilarious. I didn't even know this before we went down. She's like as big as Britney Spears in South Korea. She's like the first K-pop star. <laughs> really? And uh, she decided that that world was something she wanted to get away from. So she uh, came to Atlanta and went to Cordon Bleu and um, you know worked in very oak cuisine uh, restaurants. And she met her husband, Cody Taylor, who was born and raised in the South. He loved traveling to barbecue places. And they cook true southern barbecue and what does that mean obviously you know he he would say well it's it's cooking over live coals and direct heat for long periods of time but you know stuff came about by circumstance uh, one day they had uh, you know a freezer out back and atlanta had a nice storm and all of a sudden they had all this cabbage that had frozen and they were broke as a joke and she said you know what i'll make kimchi out of the frozen cabbage or he asked her to fix up some collard greens one day and she started adding you know smoked turkey and and miso and rice wine vinegar and all these different things so all the sudden you got this hybrid form and you, when you ask them what is it? it it's not korean barbecue it's not southern barbecue they say it's just atlanta's barbecue right because it's such a diversity and it's yeah. their interpretation which i mean which is awesome and clearly it's working out for them i mean one of my favorite stories that you highlight in the book is that the georgia department of Tra- transportation actually forced them to become a to-go only restaurant because it was tying up traffic so badly people who wanted to go there to eat yeah atlanta already has traffic problems <laughs> to begin with and uh you know it's what's really cool i don't know if you remember the old movie catch me if you can but uh, it sits right behind the famed Riverbend Apartments, uh, oh. which I think Playboy magazine said was one of the wildest places in the 1970s. <laughs> and uh, the actual uh, gas station or convenience store that's still right next to the market is one where you can literally BYOB. And they changed the rules to where you couldn't sit, you couldn't sit down anymore at Airlines. So you kind of have to stand as you can. You could have a cold Sweetwater 420 right there, <laughs> but you got to bounce back out. <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, so one of the questions I asked uh, you before the show was, something that you cooked this week or what something you ate this week um and so you had mentioned uh smoking a dozen chickens for a dinner party so <laughs> what uh tell me briefly like what's your recipe for that and how big a how big a smoker are we talking about uh, how'd you do it yeah i've got a i've got several smokers uh i've got a lot of cowboy boots and smokers and uh all sorts of other different vices and cast iron pans but uh this is an old side box smoker that um we just had a, a baby and some friends down the street did too and one of my favorite things to do on a sunday is to just go out and buy a bunch of t- chickens and, and smoke them and we probably ate half of them uh, for about 15 or 20 friends in Nashville that had gotten off the road on a Sunday that, you know, came over for dinner. And then you just kind of walk around East Nashville and hand, hand chickens over to people and say, like, here's your here's your meal for the week. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's super simple. I just do it. I like salt and pepper. Um, I had some peach wood that I used uh, to give it a little bit of sweetness and um, didn't even brine them, didn't mess with them. Actually cooked them pretty hot and fast at like 400 degrees this time for like an hour and they were oh, wow. just absolutely perfect. Nice. I uh, was at a friend's house the other night and he said, oh, you got to see this thing my neighbor made. And he lives in Queens and they have an alley behind the houses where everybody parks and his neighbor is a is an HVAC technician. So he works on big air conditioners and stuff. And we walk over there and he says, you got to check out this smoker. And the guy had taken the side panels off of some giant rooftop HVAC machine and built a smoking box Mm -hmm. with an offset. 
And he's an Eastern European guy. I think he's sure. Polish, and so he's making smoked sausages and his own bacon and all this he, stuff. He understands airflow, which <laughs> yep, is smoking, exactly. and and that's really you know if you if you can engineer airflow yeah. and control it, uh, you're going to control temperature. And he's lucky, I think, uh, in being in a neighborhood where they still don't mind it. When I used to try and do that, I made some bacon in my backyard in Brooklyn a couple of years ago, and I used to do it one you know somewhat regularly. I'd use this little electric smoker that I had, and every single time the fire department would get called, <laughs> and so there'd be a knock on the door about an hour and a half into me making bacon or whatever. I was smoking and the firemen would show up in all their gear and I'd say, Hey guys, come take a look. Yep. It's just my smoker. It's in the backyard. It's on a concrete pad. <laughs> it's electric. There's no real fire, which is so, you know, it's not, not illegal in New York, but sure. it, you can piss off your neighbors. And I tried to offer everybody offer some bacon. bacon. Yeah. I said, goodness gracious. Some, right. But nobody, <laughs> they didn't really like it. So what I cooked this week, um, was actually on the grill, not the okay. barbecue, but, uh, made some, some, uh, Grilled potatoes, which nice. I, you know, also are great coming out of a smoker, of and also did eggs for the first time, um, which I'd never on the grill, yeah, which I'd never done before. Uh, how'd you do it? I just I had seen uh, a, a piece in Bon Appetit uh, that Emily Ferris, who used to live in Brooklyn and doesn't anymore, who's an old friend, wrote, and it's super easy. You just put raw eggs mm-hmm. in the shell on the grill, not too hot, yeah, and you basically time them the same way you would for hard boiled, nice. and it was super easy. But they definitely take on a little of that flavor. That's interesting. Now I think if you were using hardwood. Yeah, it would be it obviously yeah. more delicious. And, of course. You know. And you can, I'm sure, you can smoke them. I assume you could yeah. just stick whole eggs right in a smoker, right? Smoke them if you got them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to also uh, talk about the map in the book. There's a couple of maps. There's a map, obviously, that shows all of the all of the places that you visit and all the pitmasters you talk about. But uh, there's what you call the country's quilt of Q, sure. uh, which is a map that uh, highlights the different kinds of sauces mm-hmm. that I, you know, and I think as a, you know, as a Yankee, I feel like I'm familiar with vinegar based sauces. And I feel like I'm familiar with mustard based sauces, but not so much. And maybe just because I haven't traveled in those areas with white uh, tomato, molasses, and black. Can sure. you talk a little bit about those three styles of sauce and how they're used? Yeah, I mean, uh, if you really look at barbecue, uh, it's the same way that French gastronomy has five mother sauces. I think you have five mother sauces of barbecue. So, as you mentioned, uh, Eastern Carolina style is, is truly just apple cider vinegar, crushed red pepper, and salt. Um, as you make your way south, and a lot of people attribute it to the German immigrants that settled in the South Carolina area, uh, mustard-based Makes sauces. Sense, yeah. uh, the ones that you're less familiar with would be uh, Alabama, northern Alabama, specifically using mayo as a white-based sauce, typically used to adorn uh, chicken. They'll add a little horseradish if they're going to do some brisket. Uh, Kentucky, because of mutton, a little bit stronger, gamier flavor. They're, they're typically making a black sauce with Worcestershire. And then what most people, people will really commonly attribute to... Uh, the most common barbecue sauce that you see that has tomato, that has some sort of brown sugar, that has some sort of molasses, really started to pick up its way in Memphis. And as it traveled more north, uh, maybe you guys are sweeter than us Southerners, but you started to find <laughs> a little bit more elements of, of sugar um, rather than so much acidity. Got it. So getting into being closer to, I guess, what we would think of now as a ketchup-based exactly. exactly. sort of sauce. Um, when you were seeking out these... Uh, these pit masters and these restaurants to uh, to cover. I know that you have a, an interest in planes, and sure. you have a uh, you have a plane. I do. Did you just like fly over the country looking for smoke, <laughs> smoke coming fires. up? 
Um, you know, to be honest with you, uh, I, I did it because I had such a short time for him to write the book. But um, I, I got to give a lot of credit to um, Andrea Behrens, who shot the photography in this book. She just did an incredible job, and she's got such a unique style. She actually is really well known for doing uh, rock photography, you know, specifically in Nashville. But uh, food is also her passion. And so she's just kind of like my ride or die. Like, we literally got in my 1976 Piper Cherokee. She had never been in a small plane before, and we hopped all around to uh, all these different places because we were short on time, but I'm also incredibly impatient and hate driving. So it, it just added kind of this element of adventure that I wanted people to, to, to capture. And it's by no means do you have to be a pilot of a small plane to be able to go to these places. Uh, it just allowed me to go eat more food in a, in a faster <laughs> fashion. Um, and were you lucky enough to find like a small airfield near enough to each yeah, other? Oh yeah. General aviation. Most people don't realize this, but back in the, you know, in the forties and fifties, when we were fighting wars, uh, aviation was something that we built airstrips all over the country. Right. Uh, and they're still, you know, very well maintained. So the vast majority of places you can still land uh, in the middle of nowhere. You put it out on a grass strip, uh, which we did in Jackson, Tennessee. And, oh, really? uh, you know, it's just it, it was just a fun element. And, you know, I, one of my favorite pictures in the book is right in the beginning where I'm literally crunching down on a on a pulled pork sandwich with fried crackling at 8,000 feet. Uh, and no joke, right in the minute of her capturing that photo, the military had called me uh, as a civilian aircraft, and they were saying they couldn't get in touch with a helicopter that was down at 1,000 feet. I was at 8,000, and the way that radio beams travel, they needed me to call him direct. So I had to put down the sandwich <laughs> and make this like military transfer call as she's trying to do a photo shoot. And I was like, you know what? This is pr- probably doing a little too much. I'm getting behind the aircraft here. So. It's like texting while driving. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, so how did you get into flying? Um, I grew up around it. My dad, my friend's dad was kind of a, a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. I mean, he'd collect antiques. He was a pilot. He sold baseball cards for a while. He was a car dealer. But I, I just have fond memories of, uh, of growing up and um, you know, going out to the airport and being around that. And so my family lives outside of Athens, Georgia. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. As I said, I'm incredibly impatient. And uh, that six-hour drive gets really tiresome. And I decided one day that I wanted to get my pilot's license. It had always been a passion of mine because I could now fly to see family in an hour and a half. So oh, I've been flying nice. now for about four years. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a big responsibility. But sure. at the same time, when the weather's great and, uh, you know, you feel great, then it's a, it's an incredible freedom and privilege to be able to go out and, um, you know, get to get to use that means of travel. Do you fly into New York yourself? No. God, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I guess that would be a, a little, little, little hairy, right? A little high. Yeah, I mean, I, I've flown into a lot of they call it Class B airspace, okay. which I'm very familiar with. But to be honest with you, I'm flying more of a lawnmower than I am a, yeah. a jet. So, <laughs> right. uh, I, for that distance between Nashville and New York, it's just much easier to uh, have a few glasses of wine and let American Airlines take care of it. Sounds good. Uh, we're going to take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors here at Heritage Radio Network, and uh, we'll be right back. Great. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. 
Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. Uh, it's Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen. Today I have Matt Moore with me, if you hadn't tuned in earlier. And uh, I wanted to, to talk, you, you mentioned earlier uh, the mutton barbecue in Kentucky. And I uh, want to read a short piece, a uh, Calvin Trillin essay called Stalking the Barbecued Mutton. This is just an excerpt. Uh, came out in 1977 in The New Yorker. And uh, Peak Brothers Barbecue in Waverly, Kentucky, um, is is the uh, is the restaurant that you cover in the book. Um, and so he mentions he doesn't mention Peak Brothers by name. Sure, but I think we can possibly assume that he went there. <laughs> Not really sure. So uh, this is from the essay "Stalking the Barbecued Mutton." Although I assumed that people in Owensboro would be proud of their local version, not just a different sort of pork or a different sauce formula or a different way of slicing beef, but an entirely different animal, it also occurred to me that Owensboro might not want to be proclaimed the barbecued mutton capital of the world. It's a fairly sophisticated city, after all, with four distilleries and a general electric plant that was turning out more than half a million tubes a day before it was struck low by the Japanese transistor, and two colleges and a river port on the Ohio and a 13-story motel just as perfectly round as a good silo. Baffling as it may seem, there are residents of Cincinnati who are not pleased when I refer to their city as the center of Greek chili in Ohio. There was also the possibility that Owensboro already had a slogan that it would be reluctant to part with. No, I think slogans for cities are trite, the executive vice president of the Chamber of Commerce told me. We don't have one anymore. What did the slogan used to be? Opportunity Center of the USA. I see what you mean. But do you think that Owensboro is, in fact, if not in slogan, the barbecued mutton capital of the world? Undoubtedly, he said. Two hours later, Tom Cheney, who had been doing some further consultation with a specialist from Union County, informed me by telephone that Waverly, Kentucky, 45 miles west of Owensboro, might actually be the barbecued mutton capital of the world. Not an hour after that, the proprietor of Posh and Pat's, a barbecue place in Henderson, on the way to Waverly, said of Owensboro, they've got the reputation, we've got the barbecue. Meanwhile, I had been told that the premier barbecued mutton was served by a man named Woolfolk in Cairo, Kentucky, just south of Henderson, but only in the summer. I knew I had to come to the right territory. How come this is the only area where mutton is barbecued? I asked an Owensboro merchant who had been kind enough to give me change for a nickel parking meter. I expect because there are so many Catholics here, he said. I didn't want to appear ignorant. Yeah, I said. I suppose that'd do it. As I was searching my mind for some connection between the Roman rite and mutton consumption, the merchant told me that the large Catholic churches in town have always staged huge picnics that feature barbecue and burgoo. Burgoo, another staple of Owensboro barbecue restaurants, being a soupy stew that I, for some reason, had always associated with Southern Illinois. In the early days, the church picnics apparently served barbecued goat. In fact, Owensboro might have arrived at barbecued mutton by a process of elimination, since people in the area seem willing to barbecue just about any extant mammal. In western Kentucky, barbecue restaurants normally do custom cooking for patrons who have had the meat but not the pit. And among the animals that Posh and Pat's offered is barbecue raccoon. The Shady Rest, one of the most distinguished barbecue joints in Owensboro, has a sign that says, If it will fit in the pit, we will barbecue it. It's probably fortunate that people of the area settled on barbecued mutton as the local delicacy before they had a go at beaver or polecat. I mean, that is, I wish I had found that piece. Um, <laughs> but weirdly enough, I got all of that uh, in my interview from Irene Rich at, at Peak Brothers in Waverly, Kentucky. Great writing. Yeah, it's, uh, I'll, send, I'll send you the link to the, to the whole piece and we'll, we, can, we can certainly put it up here. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, so tell me about, about Peak Brothers and about, the, about Mutton and, and also a little bit about why you included it in the book. You said in the beginning of the interview that, you know, pork butt was really the thing and this is a mutton butt. Yeah, right, it's essentially. I, it's their version. I mean, so Catholics are cheap and that's why uh, 
Irene Rich said that it's mutton, right? Yeah. It was cheaper to barbecue that than than hog or, or beef, and uh, and she also you know talks uh, with wild fanat- uh, imagery of of what she used to call the coon suppers, where they would literally go out and, and, and get all the raccoons, and this was around Mardi Gras time, and set up a craps table in the restaurant, and uh, you know gamble and drink bourbon all night long, and all the places that you mentioned, like Owensboro is one of my favorite places, uh, the most commonly. Or the most famous place is the Moonlight Barbecue there. That's literally you land at Owensboro Airport and they have a shuttle that runs you over. I've flown into Henderson, oh, wow. Kentucky many times. In fact, next week we'll be flying to Henderson because we're going back to Peak Brothers. Um, I, I chose it because I think it's a really unique um, cut and it is the, the butt of Kentucky. And uh, it's just got such a unique flavor. And I, I felt like if we didn't represent uh, Kentucky for what it is, which is mutton and burgoo as well, uh, that we wouldn't be doing, we wouldn't be covering the breadth of the, of the barbecue, uh, you know, map that I wanted to cover. So uh, what an incredible piece. And, and it's true. Like you can, Owensboro hasn't changed a whole lot. And one interesting fact, too, when you're talking about GE being there, back in World War II, Hitler actually had identified Owensboro is one of the strategic areas of the country that he right. wanted to, uh, you know, make sure that was on lock. It was like <laughs> one of the first places that had they ever acquired nuclear weapons, that would have been one of the first places that they would have pursued, which nobody really realizes anymore. Because it was so important to the technological. Exactly. It's an 8,000 foot uh, strip in Owensboro, Kentucky, which is monstrous. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a big one. It's probably longer than LaGuardia. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I love that you've included this here in part because as someone who, like I said, is not a like heavy follower of barbecue, but I love lamb. And sure. so I love the idea of having a recipe where, you know, you are focusing on that. And it's interesting to find out that there is a place where that is kind of held up as, as, uh, you know, as a type of barbecue. And then I also wonder, you know, um, having grown up Jewish, but not kosher, it'd be interesting because then theoretically you could have a kosher barbecue restaurant definitely <laughs> if you were just focused on lamb perhaps uh you know maybe in the hasidic, that might be hasidic that might be the coolest thing to hit, hit brooklyn you know <laughs> <laughs> kosher barbecue right <laughs> um what about uh i mean I, I hate to ask you this but uh do you have a favorite in the book so i just had my second daughter and that's kind of like asking me which one of my kids is my favorite um, as they get older you'll have a favorite it'll just <laughs> depend on which Some, day sometimes day to day, i can sometimes tell when the baby doesn't sleep through the night the two-year-old's <laughs> looking pretty good but yeah. um you know i i say that uh my taste barbecue's regional right so whatever your first introduction to barbecue was is typically what you hold on to for the rest of your life right so in uh tulsa oklahoma a place that we might call burn company these are two young guys that like listen to sublime uh, it's kind of like rock star style environment. They're using hasty baked grills and they say like, we're used to beef and we have tomato in our sauce because that's what we grew up on. And that's what people in Tulsa want. Uh, if you go to Eastern North Carolina and you see tomato in the sauce or you see any sugar in the sauce, you know, people are going to be fiercely telling you that it's not barbecue for me growing up in Georgia. I think you have a little bit of a hybrid, but my parents, when they would pick up barbecue or make it at home is always very vinegar based and heavy smoke. So like mesquite, uh, oak, hickory. Um, so I tend to like a little heavier smoke and a little bit more vinegar. But at the same time, obviously writing about food, I can appreciate all the different takes. Uh, I think mutton is one of those that if you've uh, never had it, it's really like the perfect go-between between a pulled pork and a really well-prepared bis- brisket. It's got a, a nice gamey flavor. Uh, and the way that they prepare it is uh, you know, a very vinegar-based sauce. So uh, I had a, a ton of fun. But as far as a favorite, I do tend to like things that are a little bit heavier smoke and a little more vinegar-based. Sure. I mean, I guess you, you say that, uh, you know, 
your first sort of taste is what sort of you think of when you think of great barbecue. For me, when I think about barbecue, there's like there's two restaurants that come to mind. One was actually in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a restaurant that I think is still there called Daddy D's. Yeah. Um, and I stopped there completely by accident in 2002, happened to be driving by, happened to be hungry. There were some cop cars in the parking lot. <laughs> I figured I all the right figure, signs. Yep. Police cars in the parking lot mean it's good, even though they look like I mean, if that restaurant was anywhere in the north, I would think it was closed. <laughs> I mean, just the way it looks. I mean, it's just sort of an aesthetic thing. But, sure. you know, uh, and I thought it was great. I've been back a couple of times when I've been in Atlanta. And then there used to be a barbecue place that unfortunately, and I, think, I feel like this happens a lot to barbecue restaurants. They burn down. Yes. Sadly, yes. Uh, called Holy Smokes that was in an old church in Hadley, Massachusetts, actually. Nice. Um, that was a that was a really that it's was, a good and, name. Yeah, that that was a good one. Uh, and then there's a place in, in Massachusetts also where I went to college called Bub's Barbecue that's okay. been there for a long time. So you named yours. I should be a politician because I didn't answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I have, I mean, you have a book about barbecue. I don't. So it's, you know, I can, I can sort of name some favorites and it's uh, not, not that big a deal if I, uh, if I name some favorites. Um, what do you think uh, is the best thing to drink with barbecue? And beer and bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Together at the same time? Yeah, typically. Okay. Uh, you know, to start yeah. the cooking, uh, bourbon, and to keep yourself satiated, beer, and then to finish the cooking, again, bourbon. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, have spent a lot of time, we talked about whole hog cooking a little bit earlier uh, this morning, and, um, you know, the day that you decide to dig a pit in your yard and smoke a whole hog is is it's just a day of celebration. And I always yep. do that on days and weekends where I just feel like having a party. Yep. <laughs> you know, my wife thinks it's crazy, but, uh, some of my best memories are, are sitting around, um, you know, a pit and the smells, the sounds, uh, the friendships, the camaraderie. Um, you know, I think the pig is a celebration. And when I was doing some research for the book, one interesting thing that, uh, that I came across is that really the pig was the first thing that really ever broke the social bounds of, of hierarchy at that time. And it's a difficult topic to talk about nowadays, but um, food has always been a a great equalizer. People can sit down at a table and regardless of your politics, your affiliation, usually good food brings people together. And even back in slave times, that was an an opportunity of celebration. They still call it this today. And, and the Carolinas, the pig pickings where slave masters would literally throw whole hog feasts and, you know, the slave owners would sit down with the slaves and enjoy the pig. And hmm. I thought that was a really important thing to address, to not skip over, uh, even though it's a difficult subject to, to talk about. Um, so there's a lot of power in the pig. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is there anything in the barbecue world that you feel like um, people don't, like, have enough respect for or that kind of gets, like, glossed over as far as either food or tradition I think the, the the toughest thing is this: these pitmasters, and so the reason it was so important for me to tell their stories. They're up at three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. Uh, a lot of them are building fires. They're they're maintaining a temperature over a very very long period of time, and barbecue is considered kind of a it should be kind of a cheap food to eat. Right. Um, you know, if you try to make it too much oak cuisine, then you're going to get in trouble. And then we all have opinions. I mean, I can't tell you how many times you eat a barbecue sandwich. That was good, but I've, I've had a better one. Right. (laughs) Right. And so I I don't think that they get enough attention, the pit masters, because we can go to a restaurant right now and, and a a chef, a French chef can, can pan sear a sea scallop in in, in two or three minutes and win Michelin stars where barbecue restaurants are doing a 20 and 30 hour process. So I think that's one thing is it was so important to pay homage to these people that are carrying on such a grand tradition. and, and that's really the the heart and soul of this book is telling their stories. I think that's a great point. I mean, I, the only the only other um, 
sort of role in the kitchen world that I think of that's like that is a baker. Sure. Right? I mean, we, we, you know, we are very lucky. And I mean, my mom used to hate the fact that back in the 70s, the bread was so bad here. <laughs> like, and that we would go on, you know, we'd go to like places like Maine or we'd go to, you know, sort of further afield outside New York. Mm-hmm. And she just was like, she was like, I can't find any good bread. And now, I mean, we live in a time when the, there's good bread in a lot of places. There's... But that means that there is a baker, much like sure. a pit master, who's up at three o'clock in the morning to make that bread to make sure it rises correctly to make sure you know the fire gets stoked in some yeah, cases it's a labor of love yeah absolutely um well i think that the you know i think the book does a great job um of celebrating those stories and uh you know i i would hope that perhaps maybe in like 10 years there'll be another opportunity to do another one right i mean <laughs> yeah. if more people keep getting into it uh in other parts of the country i mean maybe i don't know how you feel about america's this. best butts. i was gonna say maybe you could you know maybe I, my last name more butts more oh uh, yeah there yeah. we go well, if you had a son, you could name him Seymour. <laughs> yeah, so you know what's so crazy is that uh, there's a literally no joke. Uh, we went to uh, Goldsboro, North Carolina, and the Air Force base that's right next to Wilbur's Barbecue is called Seymour Johnson Air Force Base. <laughs> we'll leave it there. I mean, I have to say, when I first got the email uh, about you know we first started emailing about this, and I and I saw the name of the of the book, um, you know my first thought was that it was about like Miami Beach in the 80s. I thought it was a calendar, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think that would be a great holiday uh, yeah. holiday product for you to yeah. come out with. It could be a calendar that was like marketed as if it was of, of human uh-huh. butts, yeah. and then it could just be 12 months of 12 like, months beautiful, of beautiful pork, pork butt, butts. mutton butt. Yeah. You know, there's a place for everything out there nowadays. <laughs> Well, Matt, it's been a real pleasure having you on Feast Your Ears. Um, your website is mattrmore.com. People can uh, also follow you uh, on Instagram at Matt Moore Music um, and on Twitter at HHOFD. What does that stand for? It was my first book, Have a River for Dinner. Got it. Uh, I'm, I'm not seamless in my social media approach, but uh, I still try to give a good narrative. While we have a few minutes, uh, tell me about Matt Moore Music. Is that a? I mean, <laughs> I'm you, a you, recovering you live in, musician living in Nashville. Yeah, uh, I mean, Nashville's a great town for was. music. It is, and um, I still write songs, but I don't think I'm writing the type of country uh, songs that make country radio right now. Um, but yeah, I went to school in Athens, Georgia. Was in a jam band, and uh, after doing an eight man circus of playing all around, I decided to move to Nashville. And um, you know, I still enjoy music. Still incorporate it. We do a lot of festivals. Still, where I'll go cook for. Is the Springwater still there? Springwater in Springwater Tavern in Nashville. That, that's the name. That maybe I, I don't maybe think so. I have the name wrong. It was a bar that was right across the street from the the fake Parthenon. Oh no, it's not there anymore. Oh, okay. Um, unfortunately, Nashville has progressed quite a bit, and we've lost some institutions. We've also got some incredible things going on. We're kind of like the Austin or the Portland that's having its moment right now. Sure. And, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly a great place to call home. I've called it home now for 15 years, and uh, the music is kind of the side the sideshow. Awesome. Do you uh, do you have anything else coming up uh, that you want to mention? Uh, August? Yeah, so I think by the time we broadcasted, we will have uh, also finished up a big spot, hopefully on Fox News and nice. a, few year, or a few days prior. And, um, you know, we're going to finish out uh, the rest of the year strong. I think uh, one thing that's great about this book is it's tailgating season. I'm a, sorry, don't hold it against me. I'm a Georgia fan, so go dogs. <laughs> Uh, but I think the pork butt is like the best thing to take to tailgates, right? Uh, and one of the recipes that we've been demoing this whole time, instead of cooking a hamburger or just doing a standard barbecue sandwich, I'm taking my cast iron pan along with my kettle smoker, and we're making stuffed grilled cheeses with pulled pork nice. uh, throughout tailgate season, which is so gluttonous and so good. <laughs> I mean, the other the other thing that you know that I think it's important to mention, and one of the things that I love about you know 
doing a long process thing like smoking a pork butt for some kind of a party is that then as the person who's hosting the food's done you're done right if you're cooking burgers to order for yeah. 15 people you're standing there all, all day, day and then all the, so- all the trimmings for a burger right yep like you know a, a barbecue sandwich can just be sauce or no sauce but yeah. maybe some coleslaw <laughs> if you want it but like you know lettuce tomatoes pickles all that stuff you know forget about it just smoke a huge hunk of meat and then let the people decide what they want to put yeah, on it. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a, it, it's much easier that way and a lot more fun. Sure. As a host. Well, thanks again for, for coming thanks for on having the show me. today. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Feast Your Ears today. Big thank you to David Tattashore, who engineers this show every Wednesday. Please take a moment to like the show on iTunes if you did, in fact, enjoy it. And reach out to me if you have any questions. You can find me on email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com. Uh, want to make a shameless plug here for my first book, which comes out August 1st, Vinegar Revival is a Guide to Making and Using Vinegar at Home. You can pre-order it at Vinegar revival.com on amazon or from your local bookstore and as you may know as a listener of heritage radio this show is only possible thanks to member donations like yours if you're not a member i really hope you would think about becoming one we would not be able to reach you every week without the generosity of our members around the world now's your chance to join the club our summer membership drive is on now and becoming a member is incredibly easy comes with limited edition summer swag t-shirts drink koozies pins and you can sign up uh, for a one-time donation or become a monthly sustaining member you can visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate right now let's keep food radio on the airwaves this summer you can follow me on instagram at the foodballer and i'll talk to you next week Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.